thank you very much. Um, as several of you have seen, uh, here is the book. I have four copies with me and there will be a silent auction simply by messaging me on LinkedIn and that way we'll also be connected. And give your motivation and what you think that you would uh, be willing to give to it and I'll choose four of you uh, before 12 o'clock and the auction will close at 12 o'clock. And the thing that I particularly wanted to mention, my mistake, I forgot to say so. When you're on the podium, you always forget to say things. Uh, the proceeds are going to the uh, EEF Foundation to defray the costs of producing the book and particularly towards ABIFA, which is the foundation of Eric Jonkira himself, to assist him in the costs of uh, his court case against Etenit, because he very recently started a court case against Etenit, and I think we owe it to him for over 20 years of raising awareness, every chance he had, everywhere he could, to help him in his endeavor to get justice from Etenit. So, thank you very much, and I look forward to all your messages. And thank you too, Phil, it's very kind. Thank you. Thank you, Yvonne. Um, so welcome back for the second session uh, of, of the day um, called Asbestos Detection. So we had, for the first session, we had the, the uh, 10,000 feet overview of the asbestos landscape. Um, now we're going to go um, on, the, on the ground with the micro and nano level. Uh, how do we even know it's there? So the analytical tools and the, and the microscope and everything that we need to uh, actually see, the, the fibers. Um, we have two speakers for this session. Um, we're going to talk about uh, toxicology as well. So uh, whether it's, it's better to start with toxicology and then design the tools uh, to see uh, what we need to see in terms of, uh, of the diseases or start with the technological push, uh, designing the best, the finest tools we can uh, to see the, the smallest fibers. Um, sometimes, because my background is uh, photo interpretation and remote sensing, sometimes the photo interpreters wanted to have the best resolution, spatial resolution, but we realized that it's not always the best uh, way to proceed. And sometimes with the metadata data and the, uh, the bigger swath, even if the resolution is coarser, it brings other types of information. So we'll, we'll talk about all this. We're going to start with, uh, with Sean Fitzgerald. Uh, he's an American geologist and mineralogist. He studied many things uh, earlier. Uh, maybe he will let us know. He's one of the persons on Earth that's probably seen the most uh, asbestos fibers through an eyepiece. So um, he's now the founder and the president of FACTS, and FACTS stands for uh, Fitzgerald Analytical Consulting and Testing Services. Um, and he, he's also the one who uh, finds, who wanders against uh, asbestos uh, in some makeup brands. Um, so, Sean, you can, uh, can welcome you on stage. And you're going to talk to us about some antiquated uh, analytical protocols and uh, the advent of uh, uh, TEM microscope. Please. Help me welcome Sean Fitzgerald on stage. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. Um, yes, uh, now for something completely different. Uh, yes, my name is Sean Fitzgerald, Jabito Zatazuni. Uh, and uh, yes, I'm a geologist. You can tell I'm a geologist because I have a rock hammer and a floppy hat. 
right? Um, rock hammer, floppy hat, check. All right, so the big question in the room, really, is what is this thing we're calling asbestos? Well, it kind of depends. Uh, there's a lot of different definitions. There's actually dozens of definitions out there for uh, what asbestos is. Uh, here's some from the US, from the EPA, the United States Geologic Survey, from the latest one that we published through ASDM, actually the soil method, and then what we have in the Federal Register, uh, more commonly what we have to live with for our definition as the asbestiform varieties of six specific minerals. Um, so basically these are fibrous things we took out of the earth and we called them uh, by the chief mineral that came out of the, the ground at a particular location. And we use the word asbestiform in our definitions. Uh, what is asbestiform? Well, actually there's dozens of definitions for that word too, unfortunately. Um, but basically it's a fibrous habit, how the mineral actually grows into fibers. So an important distinction is what is a mineral versus what is a rock? Well, the mineral used to mean anything that we pulled out of the ground. That was called mineral. It's just by definition, but more technically, we've come to know it as something that occurs solid at, uh, at room temperature, is definable by a specific chemical formula in a specific uh, atomic structure, all right? So we have to have a given chemical formula and a given atomic structure, whereas a rock is an aggregate of different minerals or even non-minerals. Think about coal, it's actually not a mineral. Um, so uh, yeah, that's, there's a distinct difference, and here are uh, two different uh, types of habit. We have the fibrous habit and this, the, uh, the non-fibrous habit of the mineral ethophylite, and there's my rock camera. Right. So uh, a few weeks ago, or was it days, it's, it's all a blur, I gave a talk in Australia, uh, and uh, we talked about how they define uh, asbestos there, and it's basically, uh, asbestos are the fiber mineral types that are known carcinogens, and there, again, they use the same six mineral names, well, uh, not technically all mineral names, but they use the word asbestos rather than asbestiform. Slight difference. So when we start defining what asbestos is, we run into all sorts of contradictions. Is a single fiber that we see under the microscope, can we call that asbestos or not? Can asbestos be a consistent of non-asbestiform population, or is just one bundle observed under the microscope technically asbestiform? Are our particles and structures of minerals articulated asbestos that don't need some of the parameters countable asbestos, or what about those that don't meet uh, uh, all parameters? Are they, uh, if it's not a population of asbestos, does that count or not? And is asbestos something that we can really define? Or is it just really a concept? I can tell you one thing, asbestos is a town in Quebec. I've been there. And when I went there, a little further north, uh, further north I went to the Interactive Mining Museum at the Thetford Mines, where they had a little stool for children to stand up on, so they could take a whack at the rock to whack out the fibers from the rock. So we have technically a rock, not a mineral. All right? And what they told me was this is actually the work. Huh, okay, we'll see, it's blown out. Uh, my PowerPoint's all screwed up. Say the beast in the game. Anyway, uh, so we have asbestos was the work of women and children back in the day. Um, and this young lady instructed us about uh, the mining process at the mines, and she, uh, as she held up the rock, she uh, said, there is no asbestos here, forgive me, I never give this talk in English. While I saw bundles of fibers between her toes, 
on the floor next to the corrugated uh, asbestos, and she showed us the strings of pure asbestos uh, with her bare hands. And behind her was a poster that read, L'amiante en risque relatif et négligeable. Uh, basically, I'm sorry for butchering your language, uh, but what it basically says is that eating a beefsteak or driving a car is a greater risk than actually inhaling asbestos. So what we have in this industry is a lot of these, the big elephants in the room that are, seem to be easy to ignore. So we have two worlds of asbestos. We have the contractors, the consultants, and the laboratories that focus on regulations and repeatability and uh, they, whether or not the asbestos is there. Rather than the epidemiologists, the lawyers, and the medical doctors, which are worried about exposure and the dose-response relationship. So how do we bridge between uh, these worlds? Well, that's where it comes back to regulation. The question at the end of the last session was, uh, how do we do this? How do we make this change? Well, we've got to get to these people, the regulators. And we have to do that through our research. So if you actually really think about how to bridge between content of asbestos and exposure to asbestos, we practically try to do that with every sample that we take. If you think about it. This is a penny slide. I, I constructed this many years ago. I took an American penny out of my pocket and I also took some dried up uh, rice grains out of my lunch. And I took some hairs out of one of my lab techs' head. And I put those on a penny because then we can relate to how big right, a grain of rice is or a human hair. And I also took the smallest amount of asbestos, which is, okay, all been buggered up. Now take that little circle and boot up right over there. You can see a little crumb underneath Lincoln's nose. That actually measured out to over 100,000 fibers, closer to 200,000 individual fibers underneath uh, Lincoln's nose. And this makes sense if you actually look at what we know about the science of dust. Most of the dust that you can see, uh, the dust that you can see is actually too large to respire, all right? And the stuff that you can see in a microscope is actually less than 8%, yeah, well, a little over 8%, less than 9% <laughs> of the actual dust on a percent by particle count basis, right? So it's gonna be too small to see even with a light microscope. So how do we, how do we analyze for this stuff? We've got different testing protocols. The first uh, that comes to mind is phase contrast microscopy, where we're using 400 times magnification, and it's become ragged, uh, at the, uh, rather the standard because of its ease of use. Uh, but the real uh, reason that we developed it was for ease of use and to document fibrous trends when we're in an asbestos factory rather than trying to clear out our work here. So I have several slides here, and I hope that you uh, are able to uh, get this PowerPoint from me uh, in PDF form afterward, so we can go into these, this uh, uh, more established history that I've provided here. Uh, we just don't have time to go into that. Now, in the US, we do have requirements for the use of uh, transmission of microscopy, specifically for a here final clearances, the Asbestos Hazard Emergency Response Act, was designed to make sure that there was no uh, asbestos detectable, period, in the air that children breathe. Um, we also have uh, the required and some other things we'll talk about in a second. But basically, it's, it's very interesting to note 
the development of TEM, when we first developed TEM, it was the same technology that went into the development of a thing called television. All right? Um, and when they first uh, found that they could make magnify things up very high, they said, aha, we can finally determine whether or not uh, Crassital asbestos really has this scroll structure that we're proposing. So one of the first applications for the use of electron microscopy was actually to, to dilute that asbestos. So uh, over the years, when we started to develop, uh, develop uh, the problems in the U.S. Uh, with trying to deal with asbestos, we, we knew that we needed to have this technology. We'll see all of it. And uh, again, there's uh, an entire history of, of electron microscopy that I hope we're able to capture uh, through this PowerPoint through, through PDF to you. I should make that available. Um, but at the end of it all, the, uh, the, uh, the key scientists that had the, the technology got together and realized that they needed to make certain modifications to the electron microscope to, to make sure that they could read the chemistry by EDS uh, and they could look at the actual structure because, again, we're looking at individual mineral particles, crystals, in order to define what the mineral is, we need to know the specific chemistry and specific crystallinity. So you have to have this in order to say that a given crystal is truly the one that was regulated as asbestos. So in 87, we have the, uh, the HERA regulation, uh, which specified the use for TEM. So uh, you need TEM for the HERA clearances. You need them for non-friable organically bound analysis. That is where you might not have been able to find it by the uh, light microscopy, you can boil it down, if you will, and look at it by TEM to see if you missed something. Uh, also for water sample, dust methods uh, require it. Lung tissue and exposure testing, uh, that is actual digestion of the lung tissue to see what kinds of minerals the person is exposed to, you need to get down to this level because this, the size of uh, particles that you can respire, you can't see with uh, light microscopy. Sorry. So, for bulk testing in the U.S., we we uh, specified the primary tool as the polarized light microscope, the EPA 600 method, which also has supplemental uh, methods like XRD, the transmission electron microscope, which you can augment the analysis with to get lower levels of detection. Um, so, by PLM, we can we can look at the different uh, characteristics, and we can say. Uh, whether or not it is a mineral based on uh, the colors, but you have to have at least 1-5% content in order to get it to, to come close to accurately quantifying. And you can also determine whether or not it has best performed habit, as long as you have plenty of fibers large enough to see uh, resolvable and uh, at a percentage high enough to see. X-ray diffraction. Um, it's great. The Japanese would love to hear me say that you can use that all day long for the determination of asbestos and bulk building materials, but if you don't, you've got some problems here. Again, it has to be at least a percent of the whole rock. That is, if you have a whole bunch of different minerals in the material, you could have many, many interferences, but you need to have at least one percent uh, in order to have it, uh, to be able to say that it has handfuls of serpentines. Um, but then you're, you also can't determine whether or not it's fibrous or not because you're not actually looking through something, you're just looking at a response to an x-ray. Back to the penny slide. 
Um, if we take the hair off of the penny slide, we can see that it's about 70 to 100 microns in width, uh, which we can easily see under the PLM. Um, and now this little guy is actually several different asbestos fibers bundled together, and that's what we need to have in order to be able to resolve it by light microscopy. Um, another example here, I took some of the uh, asbestos from underneath Lincoln's nose, and I put it in the transmission electron microscope, and I superimposed over the picture of the screen a yellow bar, which is the size of the smallest fiber you would count by PCM, five microns long, 0.25 wide. And as you can see, as is normal with an asbestos population, multi by light microscopy. So with electron microscopy, we can magnify very high, we can get the chemistry, and we can get the diffraction, which tells us the structure. So we can say definitively, each little mineral is truly uh, one of the ones that's regulated, even individual scrolls of the mineral, chrysotile, and certainly it works for the amphiboles as well. It also works in lung tissue. I think I said something about this before. This is where a, uh, a, a man was actually sawing cement asbestos board in half with the buzz saw, and in his lungs, what do you know, there was amicide and chrysotile uh, observable throughout his lung tissue, his body, uh, by digestion and then transmission electron microscopy. And then we have something called asbestos bodies. You may have heard of a ferruginous body or a ferruginous fiber. Well, uh, it's tough here because we don't necessarily have accounting criteria, but we're looking at digested lung tissue and we're trying to find the chemistry of the cores of the ferruginous bodies, which can pose its own challenge. But here's a slide. This is under a light microscope with an iron stain. The iron stain is preferential toward the iron that's donated by the frustrated phagocytosis of or magrophages. Let me say that again. Woo. Anyway, so we have iron nodules along a fiber. But we don't know without analyzing between those nodules whether or not it's truly one of the minerals that's regulated as asbestos or not. But guess what? A pathologist calls this asbestos, period. It doesn't matter what the core is. Now here's some examples of some pictures I took with SEM of these, um, uh, not to be too morose, but uh, marshmallows on a stick, um, where we have to shoot in and try to find out what the core is to get good chemistry without the interference of the iron uh, from the iron nodules. And this can be challenging. Um, but it can be done. Uh, but this is, this is a, a very important application that's, that tells you, this is the definitive way to find out if someone's been exposed. If you got this in your lung, you were exposed, there's no doubt about it. The next best thing is to take air samples in the breathing zone and then read by TEM, right? Now we can also use SEM and, uh, in Europe, that's, uh, that's been uh, propagated. And yeah, you can get high magnification. Yes, you can get energy dispersive spectra that tells you the chemistry. Uh, and diffraction, well, not so much. Because you're looking at not the uh, transmitted electrons that are, that are diffracted by the crystal. You're looking at uh, the, 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 the electrons that are bounced back to give us the images and the uh, chemistry. So the history of asbestos testing development leaves us with established methods based on analytical sensitivity and ease of use. Uh, we have PCM and TEM for air and TEM for water. While it's hard to beat the practicality of PLM for large numbers of bulk samples or PCM for large numbers of air samples. Um, unfortunately, this doesn't necessarily give us the results we need that are relationable to human health risk. Um, 
here's another nice example. Actually, when we first, when we first uh, codified AHERA, we said any air, any air in the asbestos we breathe. Huh. Any asbestos in the air that we breathe is unacceptable. So anything peak above background. All right. Unfortunately, at the time, we're using uh, polycarbonate filters that had a baseline concentration of 70 structures of asbestos per millimeter squared of filter. Now that we have filters that have no contamination, we've accidentally lowered the, uh, our level of concern, and we can now pass an area, even though we're using TEM, where we know there's asbestos above background, and it's perfectly acceptable because of the antiquated standard. Same kind of conundrum we have with the 1% rule. Um, is 1% acceptable? We know that it isn't. We've done lots of studies that prove a fraction of a fraction of a percent can still generate significant amounts of asbestos in the air that we breathe. Um, so this whole 1% rule is really only useful for determining if we have an asbestos-containing product with little interference that we can see with the light microscope. Going back to all the, the Australian standard, um, it's more of a qualitative uh, thing where they actually are saying you have to be able to see fibers in the stereo microscope in order to even consider it. If you can see a 10 to 40x under a stereo microscope, fibers, then you pull them out, put them in the PLM, and if you can't detect it there, you're going to say it's not there at a detectability of a, a tenth of a percent. That's the standard that they, that they have now. So we have to get through this so that we can find everything that's actually there. So let's talk about friability versus non-friability. <clears throat> uh, we, all, we all recognize that uh, friability is the ability to crush something up with hand and get it, uh, get it to uh, <coughs> go into a dust. Examples uh, that come to mind are insulation and, and powders, uh, damaged asbestos-containing materials, whereas non-asbestos would be things like, well, cement asbestos board, and this is a problem. I'm noticing, especially when I go to developing countries, uh, they, they, they're told that cement asbestos board is not a problem um, because you can't crush it up. It's non-friable, therefore we don't have to worry about it. That's, that's not good. And then floor tiles, dimension stone, mastics, something called green marble are all non-friable materials that may well contain asbestos. So, Rather than friable, we should more think about fiber releasable because anything that contains asbestos fibers could potentially release asbestos fibers under the right conditions. Therefore, we cannot use a term, this friability term, to dismiss things that may well be a problem down the road. This is a good example. I went to the hardware store, and since this was green marble, you wouldn't think that it would contain any asbestos, but when you looked at it, it's actually serpentine that was used as dimension stone, and we can clearly see the central canal of this chrysotile fiber. Um, another example, this mortar and pestle is what you're supposed to grind up your, uh, your, uh, uh, <clears throat> your, your, uh, uh, your herbs with, and, uh, and it's obviously uh, not just green marble, it's actually serpentine, and when I looked at it under the microscope after wiping it off, I found that it was fibrous antigorite. Now, antigorite isn't regulated, right? But it's the exact same chemical structure as uh, it is a serpentine, as chrysotile, um, but it's not regulated. But there was also tremolite in there, all right? And I just picked this up in a, uh, in, a, in a kitchen store for people to take home 
grind their stuff up, and then breathe this. Now, Phyrocentigaride, I actually wrote about this, um, and one of my references was this article talking about the toxinogeneity and the carcinogeneity of Phyrocentigaride, and yes, there, there is definitely a, uh, a significant response. Um, uh, a while back, I subscribed to this magazine for uh, mineralogy, and uh, an ad in it for the Rigaku XRD uh, bragged about the Connemara marble. I'm actually going to Ireland uh, next week, and I'm going to go see this rock because that marble is also serpentine. And this ad brags about how they can resolve the three polymorphs, chrysotile, and tigerite, and lizardite. In Vermont, if we see this uh, in hand sample, as geologists would call it, picrolite. It's a field term for uh, antigorite uh, and, and this, this texture that we get in serpentines. Um, now, can this be asbestiform? Well, uh, this rock uh, back in Quebec actually has all three polymorphs, but specifically antigorite. Could that be fibrous? Well, this geologist that worked there at the Johns Manville mine um, the, in asbestos Quebec, he told me that in hand sample, yeah, you could get all three polymorphs of serpentine as fibers in hand sample, right? And you could also get fibers that were in hand sample as uh, fibrous, tremolite, actinolite, and thophylite. So even though you have a bag of, let's call it asbestos from Johns Manville, it's actually got all these minerals in it in the asbestiform habit. This is actually uh, asbestiform antigorite from Australia. It's actually a very rare sample. A paper was done on it. Uh, this was a, an SEM micrograph of it by Keeling and Fitzgerald, another guy, not me, um, where they investigated this. I've got some of this in my, in my archives. It's a wonderful material from my perspective, but it's horrible if you're breathing this stuff, right? A little word about talc, all right? What is talc? Uh, talc is a metamorphic sheet silicate resulting from, often, the metamorphism of magnesium minerals such as serpentines and amphiboles. And what is asbestos? It's the asbestiform varieties of, what do you know it? Serpentine and amphiboles. So talc actually forms from the same rocks that asbestos forms from, sort of like rust on metal, all right? So that's an important to realize that these are all hydroxylated magnesium silicates and are can be very well intercalated, and that's exactly what we have here. This is a poster child. This was on the cover of the NIOSH roadmap a few years ago, a picture taken by a friend of mine, where he was able to determine uh, at the USGS in Denver that parts of this were asbestiform talc. Other parts of it were asbestiform anthophyllite. So there are some laboratories that say if it's not just one mineral, it's not regulated as asbestos, therefore this wouldn't count as asbestos. When we look at asbestos very closely, with high resolution TEM, we actually see, you see these two black areas, those are actually, those are anthophyllite fibers coming out of the screen at you, okay? And we can see in between those fibers, we have T. T is for talc. And we see this, this swirl with an S, that's serpentine. What kind of serpentine is a scroll? That's chrysotile. What kind of serpentine is a wave? 
That's antigorite. So we see all these minerals are very close. That's only 100 microns here. So this is in a very small space. We actually have many different minerals, therefore we didn't regulate any minerals. We regulated rocks. <laughs> so in order to say that a talc is free from asbestos, we simply run it by XRD. If the XRD says nothing, no peak above background, we can say asbestos is free, we can stamp it, we're fine, we're good, we can sell it all over the world. We don't have to tell anybody where it came from. If we do get a slight peak, then we have to check it by PLM. If PLM doesn't find it uh, to be fibrous, no worries, asbestos is free. And I found a lot of asbestos in a lot of different products, and here's just a few that you maybe may have heard of. Um, there's, uh, and this is this has uh, kind of been uh, a problem for our paradigm. We 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 try our normal paradigm. We analyze something. We say it's asbestos-free. Then we come back with a more sensitive method. And uh, what do you know? All of these products that people are buying, putting all over their bodies after every shower, religiously in some cases contain asbestos fibers that they're breathing when they shake it on or when they smear it on their face. This is a great example. In May of 2017, I bought that guy and found that it contained uh, tens of millions of asbestos structures in every gram. Uh, that was Justice Just Shine Powder, and this is one of the Claire's products, uh, also in 2017. Now here, uh, the uh, number actually came up, uh, we have over 15 million asbestos structures per gram was what, the, what it calculated out at. Now, this is uh, something that I can see in the TEM, but I couldn't necessarily see uh, in the PLM or even the SEM, and this became somewhat of a problem. The news of asbestos and clairs went worldwide. Uh, other investigators tried to repeat the findings and were having trouble because they didn't have the proper technique for suspending. They weren't looking at it with a light microscope. They weren't looking at it with an electron microscope, or if they were, they were using an SEM. Like this guy, I actually went to uh, the Netherlands and went to his laboratory and helped him understand that, yes, if you put the filters in the SEM, if you prepared them correctly, you can see them. This is a fiber from... Uh, from makeup that I was able to reprep by SEM onto the same filter, and now I'm able to show him, yes, if you prepare it correctly, SEM works, but you gotta know what you're doing, and there's no method out there that will find this. All right, this is another uh, asbestos structure that wouldn't have been uh, considered by PLM, PCM, XRD. Uh, this would have eluded those three methods. This would have eluded those three methods, right? So I actually went to Australia uh, to a uh, USP uh, meeting and said, look, we need a method that works, and I proposed this. And they thought about this, and you can see this is a 2018. Just last year, they actually changed a few words in the preparation technique for ISO 22262, all right? So getting a little bit of traction here, where we're actually changing the way that we analyze specifically for mineral powders for the presence of asbestos. Uh, I also spoke here, Mavis was here, <laughs> uh, when uh, I was here right before the pandemic. Um, and I talked at the uh, uh, Draper's Hall, quite the opulent place, wasn't it, Mavis? In indeed. 
So uh, talking about this problem, trying to explain to, uh, it's really caught on with the lawyers now because there's another route for exposure. All these women that had nothing to do with occupational exposure, how could they possibly get it? Well, hey, now we know that there's asbestos in talc, let's investigate this further, and that's starting to gain interest in the legal arena, including here in the UK. And uh, back in the US in 2020, um, they, they realized because of the, because three years after this uh, public outcry because of uh, uh, Claire's and justice, they realized we got to do something about this. They asked us all to, uh, to, to come. Uh, this was my last trip before the pandemic, was uh, in February 2020 to, to Washington DC and to explain the science of asbestos and why we need to address it. And uh, what do you know? December 2021, they published a white, uh, white paper from the uh, Interagency Working Group on Asbestos and Consumer Products, IWGACP, that actually said, hey, if you're gonna say something doesn't have asbestos in it, you have to use electron microscopy. What? Yes, they said that. Yes, they were hired by the FDA to say this. This is fantastic. However, they've still left a lot of big problems. There's a lot of work that we still need to do. But this is what we're seeing. This is the paradigm shift we were talking about. It's coming. Um, I'm working on asbestos issues all over the world. I taught at the University of Cartagena in December, where I'm teaching graduate students how to take samples. Why? Well, if you fly over Cartagena, you can see corrugated asbestos roof is everywhere, and they don't consider it a problem. Guess what? This is Colombia. Colombia banned asbestos, but it is everywhere. That's looking out my hotel window, right? This is looking out my, the window of my uh, airplane. All of the corrugated roof, it's some 60% of the roofs in the entire city. So just a shameless plug for my last publication, uh, my business card for you, and that's all I had. Thank you. Some reason I got back to this. Uh, so we're moving to the second speaker, Martin Chouvet, who is going to join me on stage. So Martin is the uh, CTO of uh, ITGA Group. Um, she's been with ITGA in Rennes since uh, 2006. She's a chemical engineer by background. Uh, she's also going to talk to us about uh, SEM and TEM um, and why uh, France transitions to transitioned to uh, to TEM. Um, she could also have joined the next conference in the afternoon about uh, digital management because she's going to touch upon uh, uh, machine, machine learning as well. So many things uh, she will talk about. Uh, Martin, if you want to join me on stage. Thank you. As I said, uh, Philippe, asbestonomy asked me to talk about uh, detection and identification uh, of asbestos and uh, to explain uh, why uh, France moved from uh, an analysis by uh, fast contrast microscopy to uh, transmission electron microscopy. My, uh, my talk will be based on the experience of uh, ITJ in the analysis of asbestos in bulk and uh, in air and on the publication of the National Agency 
for food, environmental and occupational health and safety. The, the presentation will be divided in uh, seven points. Uh, a short presentation of asbestos fibers, uh, a definition of size, de uh, definition of fiber size classes, uh, presentation of F effect of asbestos, and uh, then uh, we move on technical uh, aspect with uh, identification criteria and uh, ability and performances of different type of micro microscope. After that, I'll explain why France moving from PCM to, to TEM, considering a toxicological aspect and the technical aspect. And finally, finally, we conclude and talk about some, uh, some perspective. As said, uh, Sean, uh, uh, asbestos, the design variety of hydrated uh, silicate distributed in two groups, serpentine with uh, one species, the, the chrysotiles, which uh, represent 90% uh, of, uh, of use. And the second group is uh, amphibole with uh, essentially five uh, uh, species for the regulation, and each species uh, vary from the odor, from the element, iron, magnesium, natrium, and, uh, and calcium. Asbestos fibers uh, have a specific organization, uh, which is different for chrysotile and for the, the other species. But the, the main message is that there is a repetitive organized structure and not an amorphous structure, like, uh, for example, uh, glass fibers. And uh, this property will be used to identify uh, asbestos. Considering the, the, the size, the, the smallest uh, fibers is the smallest of uh, chrysotile, with uh, a single fibers with a diameter near to uh, 20 nanometers. And the uh, chrysotile is also uh, made as uh, the form of a, of a bundle with a larger diameter. From uh, the, for the amphibole, we has, uh, the diameter is more variable and uh, the smallest fibers is the crocidolite and the largest is antophyllite and the diameter varies from uh, 60 nanometer to 2.5 micrometer. The first definition uh, concerning size has been established by the World Health Organization and uh, it's based on two parameters, the aspect ratio, which is the length to di diameter ratio, and uh, this ratio must be uh, less than, uh, than three. And the second parameter is the length, which must be uh, higher than five micrometer. And we can notice that no, uh, no parameter uh, are mentioned uh, concerning the diameter. It's because it's defined by the, the reference method, which is the phase contrast microscopy. And the minimal observable diameter by these techniques is 0.2 micrometer. Abestos fibers is able to penetrate in deep lung and can have a diameter less than 0.2 
and a length, length less than uh, five micrometer. Uh, so two additional definitions uh, needed in, uh, in France. And we have defined the, the definition of thin asbestos fibers is the same than, than those of uh, wool fibers, but with a diameter less than 0.2, it's the green, uh, green zone. And uh, we have also defined the, the short asbestos fibers as uh, fibers with a length between 0.5 and uh, 5 uh, micrometer. Considering uh, uh, health effect, uh, everybody knows that uh, inhalation of fibers lead to disease, and the two main diseases, uh, fibrosis, which is a destruction of, uh, of tissue, and uh, cancer, and uh, the, the two diseases can, uh, can occur in uh, many parts of the, of, of the, the body, and especially in the lung and in the, the pleura. And uh, you can notice that uh, mesothelia is uh, developed in the, in the pleura. Asbestos uh, fibers penetrate uh, in, the, in the body uh, by the nose and by the, by the mouth. And uh, then uh, fibers are transporting uh, along the respira respiratory tract and uh, only fine fibers can, uh, can reach the, the, deep, uh, the deep lung. Yes, uh, on the graph you can see the, the curve for the respirable, uh, respirable fraction which, which express the probability for particles to, uh, to reach the deep lung according to its aerodynamic diameter which must be less than uh, 10 micrometers. And for fibers, it's a little bit more complex, and we have to consider that this notion uh, corresponds to a geometric or real diameter of 3 micrometers. So uh, when we analyze fibers, we consider only fibers under, with a diameter less than, uh, less, than, less than 3, and it's called respirable fibers. After and after enter to the, the body, fibers can be uh, exhaled or deposited along the the, resp excuse me, the respiratory uh, tract. Um, and uh, we have uh, on the graph the, the curve concerning the, the deposit uh, particles. And we can notice at other times that only uh, smallest fibers uh, are able to deposit in the, in the, deep, uh, in the deep lung. The, the fibers uh, who deposit in the tracheobronchial uh, tree are removed by uh, mucociliary uh, clearance, which is uh, relatively fast, and then they are swallowed or expectorated. And the fibers which are deposited in the alveolar compartment, undergo phagocytosis of by macrophage, and then after migration to the bronchi, are eliminated by mucociliary clearance. Some fiber, especially the fine one, can be accumulated in the alveoli and uh, are likely to cause inflammation and uh, development of respiratory pathologies. 
and uh, that's why the, the retention of insoluble fibers in the, in the respiratory system results from the latency between the rates of deposition related to the exposure concentration and the rate of elimination, which is a faculty of the, of the organism. But the elimination rate is uh, limited, and sometimes, sometimes it can't operate uh, well. Finally, some fibers can migrate to other organs, such as the pleura, and uh, we talk about uh, translocation. Shinwald proposed to explain the, the mechanism of elimination and the difficulties related to the fibrous form. And uh, we can uh, notice that uh, uh, from uh, 5 micrometers, the, the, fa the phagocytosis is disturbed and uh, this uh, mechanism conducts to an inflammation and leads to a fibrosis. For longer fibers, the, the phagocytosis doesn't work so well too and uh, the mechanism conducts to a lung, uh, lung cancer. And we have on the, on the right the, the shame of mesothelioma for uh, long and thin, uh, thin fibers. Concerning the technical aspect, the identification of uh, asbestos fibers requires a high level of confidence. Uh, sorry. The identification of asbestos uh, fibers with a high level of confidence requires three criteria. The first criteria Criteria is the morphology, and uh, the detectable size depends on microscope resolution. Uh, I'll show you some uh, pictures, and, and we'll uh, show uh, another one. The chemical composition, we have to determine what is the element in presence, and what is the, the, propor the proportion of uh, each element. And we have to uh, verify that we are in presence of a crystal structure, which directly linked uh, with the, the diffraction pattern and uh, we, which be accessible by, uh, by a transmission microscopy. If we compare the, the three systems, PCM, SIM, and uh, TEM, we, we can observe that uh, for PCM, uh, only one parameter is uh, reachable, it's the morphology, and the minimum size detectable is 0.2 micrometer. For SEM, the range of morphology is the, is the same, but we can access to the chemical composition, and the, the two techniques are adap adapted to, uh, to observe the U fibers. For the scanning electron, the transmission electron microscope, we have three uh, uh, criteria the morphology, and uh, the TEM is able to detect uh, finest fibers with a diameter of about 10 nanometers, and to determine uh, chemical composition and uh, crystal structure. So this, uh, this device is able to, uh, to operate for detect U, thin fibers, and uh, short fibers. And if we place the, the ability of the system on the, the graph regarding the, the size, we can see that the PCM operates in the area of uh, U fibers 
the, the same in the same area, but we have uh, one additional criteria to identify, which is the, the chemical composition. And uh, for short fibers, for the, the TEM, uh, we cover all of the, the range of, uh, of fibers of interest, and the identification is complete with uh, three criteria. Concerning the, the French case, in the year 2000, regulatory threshold levels for abestose in occupational health are based only on a size-dependent fibers concentration according to criteria. And in the same time, temp sample analysis in French public building uh, showed the non-negligible presence of thin fibers and short fibers. So, uh, in, the, in the same time, too, uh, Dodson published um, um, publish a paper concerning the, the size-dependent toxicity of the asbestos fibers and uh, highlights the potential impact on health of, sh on health of short asbestos fibers. Two years later, later, public authorities, and especially general directorates of health and of labor, order a study on short asbestos fibers. And uh, two, uh, two years later, uh, two, uh, public authorities extend investigation to, uh, to thin, uh, thin fibers. And finally, a report uh, is uh, publicated in uh, 2008. The survey, uh, the content of the survey was uh, divided in four parts. The first is a toxicity assessment of short and thin fibers. The second is the exposure assessment. And uh, then is the risk assessment and, if necessary, uh, a reassessment re of the threshold value for occupational health. Concerning toxicologic assessment, Two part uh, has been uh, reviewed, the animal data, and uh, they show that the main factors influencing toxicity are the dose, it's the quantity of fiber you inhaled, the dimension, and especially the length and the diameter, the persistence on the, on the fibers in the lung, and the surface reactivity. And the first researcher uh, who worked on uh, toxicity regarding, uh, fiber, regarding fiber size is uh, Stanton. And he, he studied the probability of plural tumor development in function of size and the correlation between those and tumor development in function of size. And he, he, he observed uh, a best co uh, correlation for long fibers and thin, uh, thin fibers. Uh, many authors uh, worked on this, uh, on this uh, topic uh, after, and uh, I have uh, extracted some information from, uh, from this paper. Stanton uh, uh, showed that the, the probability to develop a plural tumor is, uh, is uh, is high in, with uh, long fibers over 8 micrometers and the diameter uh, less than uh, 1.5. And uh, he, 
he showed too that there is a best correlation between those and the plural tumors. The, the best correlation indicates there is a, a strong link between, between fin fibers and, uh, and tumors and uh, highlight the cancerogen potential of this uh, kind of fibers. And uh, Lipman, Lipman uh, find that asbestos is linked to diameter between 0.15 and uh, 2. Uh, it corresponds to the O fibers. And uh, the lung cancer more correlated with a thin fiber. And uh, the, the incidence of, of mesothelioma uh, increases if uh, length is over 5 and the diameter is uh, less than 0.5. All the studies agree to, uh, to, to say that the cancerogenic potential increases for thin fibers. In the same time, uh, Dodson highlighted the potential toxicity of uh, short fibers, but uh, this study has uh, not been selected uh, by the French experts, and uh, they, they asked that the, the, the survey continue to add uh, additional information uh, on, this, uh, on this point. Concern, concerning uh, epidemiology, uh, the NIOSH for the bronchopulmonary cancer and the EPA from, uh, for mesothelioma uh, works on uh, the modelization of uh, those effect relations uh, from uh, matrix job exposure, uh, including uh, TEM results. And um, they show that uh, the consider considering fib fin fibers improve the model adequation. So it's the, the same result as, uh, as uh, Stanton. And in, uh, in parallel, uh, this paper showed that the, the dose effect relation for uh, bronchopulmonary cancer established uh, on the base on linear relation underestimate the risk for low, for low as aspect. It's because we determine the, the linear relation with a high level of concentration and we extrapolate the situation for the low dose. So we could expect it that the, for the low dose, the risk is here and the, the, the study showed that the risk is, is higher as, um, as the, the, the red line. And this point leads the French authority to lower the, the, the threshold for occupational health from 100 to 10 fibers per liter. The, the main conclusion of the French, of the French expert uh, was that longer fibers toxicity is higher than short fibers toxicity and is, there is a confirmation of a confirm of carcinogen effect of thin fibers. And they are show, they are retained too, that there is a better correlation with the dose and the probability of uh, developing a tumor. And uh, if the chemical composition of the fibers is considered, so it, uh, it 
it will be confirmed, uh, it confirmed the interest to identify a fiber. Concerning uh, data uh, from, uh, from measurement, four, four situations have been uh, studied. Uh, one in urban atmosphere, one in indoor atmosphere, one in professional situation, but not in France, in Canada, and one in a geological environment in, uh, in Corsica, in France, and with a different level of, uh, of concentration. And uh, all, all the results sh uh, show that short fibers represent 19% of fibers, except for geological geological environment, and this point is explained by the, the presence of two, two varieties, uh, amosite and uh, chrysotile, and uh, the difference of the distribution size is uh, explained by the ability to uh, chrysotile to produce more thin and more short fibers. If, if we uh, zoom, on the fine and on the short fibers, we can uh, notice that uh, the number of thin fibers is higher than U fibers, and uh, the ratio thin to U is uh, variable. Some uh, result um, has been uh, on observed in, uh, in uh, five publications from uh, five authors, and uh, this, uh, this publication uh, has been uh, carried out on the same class of fibers with U fibers. And uh, considering that PCM is notable to identify uh, the nature of the, the fibers, we could uh, expect that the, the result uh, with PCM uh, would be uh, higher, and it, it, was, it was not the case, and the term result lead to higher result, probably because of the better resolution uh, close for the, the limit of uh, 0.2 micrometer. The, the study show another times the variability of the ratio, and uh, we can notice that, that for removal of vinyl floor ties, the collection factors is 20-25. In the other case, it varies from 1 to 1 to 4. So the, the, the conclusion uh, has been the following. Comparison between uh, PCM and TEM. Uh, there is a poor correlation between uh, PCM and TEM result. There is a large variability in ratio U to thin, and uh, sometimes only fine uh, fibers are present. And uh, the, the comparison of ability of PCM, SEM, and TEM uh, conduct to the conclusion that only TEM is able to detect thin fibers and identify fibers with a high level of confidence. So the general conclusion it, uh, is that we need to preserve from cancer and uh, the high carcinogenic potential is observed for thin fibers, including chrysotile. 
there is no reliable correlation between U fibers and fin fibers, and we have to consider uh, also, uh, the fin, but also the U fibers. And uh, to do that, the TEM is the, the best, uh, the best uh, microscope, the best microscope. So the French position is to analyze, to analyze all the uh, samples with, uh, with the TEM. Now we can uh, talk some, uh, about some perspective. Uh, since the obligation of using a TEM, we, we have seen uh, an emergence of laboratory industry and the, the challenge, we face two challenges, the price and the, the skill to use a TEM. And the solution uh, came from, uh, in first time, uh, price and the relationship between price and volume and the, the implementation of a system to train and to uh, acquire, acquire scale in the, in the lab. And uh, in the second uh, time, the, the solution uh, came from technology improvement and especially artificial intelligence recent development. At the moment, we are, we are convinced that uh, it's, um, it's not interesting to, to stay in the same situation than, uh, than the 20 last, uh, last years, and it's necessary to, uh, to move from a manual analysis to an autonomous uh, analysis. And uh, we have uh, decided to, uh, to implement uh, artificial intelligence in, uh, in our system. At the moment, the system is able to uh, detect uh, fibers on the sample and uh, to uh, locate the fibers in the sample. And uh, we hope in the next years that the system will be able to, um, to analyze uh, itself the, the fibers. And the system... Excuse me. The system, uh, at the moment, the system is uh, accredited by the, the French laboratory and uh, he, uh, it operates in, uh, in a routine in uh, our laboratory. And we, uh, we have uh, only, at the moment, one system, which is a, proto a prototype. With, but we need, we think the future development uh, permits to uh, democratize uh, this, uh, this technology. Thanks for your attention and excuse me for my English. Uh, I hope we will, uh, and, uh, you have understand uh, uh, the message I, uh, I wanted to, to pass. Thanks. Um, actually, we have decided to reshuffle the, the program before lunch a little bit. Uh, and um, we wanted to welcome on stage uh, Mavis Nye uh, instead of, of tonight. So Mavis, you, I'll say a few words about you. It's uh, very honored to get to know you. Um, the, uh, the story starts with your husband, Rai. Um, at the time, he was working uh, on shipyards. And some of us know, and I happened to bump into the information this morning, that Steve McQueen, the movie actor, uh, got mesothelioma uh, at the time he was working in the Navy before being a, a movie actor. Um, so shipyards are places with, with asbestos. Um, 
but you were the one back in uh, 2009 to actually uh, got the disease, mesothelioma, from passive exposure uh, from, from rice clothes, as I, as I understand. So you fought against the disease, uh, you underwent uh, chemo, um, and you uh, did uh, clinical trials with immunotherapy, uh, still doing a lot of these things. You started your own charity. You also said to me uh, yesterday that uh, one of the silent killers that we're not talking about uh, in Ukraine at the moment is the fact that some of those buildings uh, demolished in Ukraine have released a lot of asbestos in the air as well. Um, maybe you will have the floor for 10 minutes. Uh, it's very humbling to be standing next to you. Uh, we have a very nice picture behind me here. Um, I wanted to let you know, but most of you know that, uh, that Mavis was uh, uh, awarded the um, uh, medal, the BEM, the British Empire Medal uh, for services to people with mesothelioma and, uh, and also because of the foundation you, you created. So thank you very much for being with us, Mavis. Uh, it will work. Is that on? Hmm? Right. Does it work? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me here. It's lovely to be able to come and meet you all again. Three years we've been shut up with the COVID, haven't we? But Zoom got me around the world. <laughs> so what does asbestonomy mean to you? To me, it means sharing the knowledge. Scientists, they look up at the fibres and they, they marvel at how it was a... Wonder material, but to me it means pain, suffering. Thinking that I'm going to leave my family, they thinking that they're going to leave me. Because I was given three months to live in 2009. So I said it at the time, it won't get me, Ray. I will fight this, and I thought I'm still fighting it. I... We retired just before 2009. We sold our house and we bought a park home. We bought a mobile home as well, a motor home, and we was gonna travel. And my son lived in Spain. We managed to get two months there in the motor home. I got through a, a, a hurricane. I got through the Benidorm fire, and I come home and uh, we got through smugglers at the top of the uh, pass, smuggling in furniture while they walked around our van and held me in, held us in, made sure we didn't go out. They're very threatening. We got home <laughs> through all that. And then I go to the doctor, and he, I had an, I had a, a numb arm, and he told me I had a trapped arm and nerve. Well, a friend said to me, Mavis, that's not a trap, go and get a second opinion. So I did, and I had an x-ray. On voting day that year, I uh, walked up and I found I couldn't breathe. And so I went back home, and as I got back home, the phone was going and the doctor said, get to the Kenton Cantery, Mavis, you've got a mass showing on your x-ray. So... I, I don't know. I was given this three months to live when they drained off seven litres of fluid. 
So we came home and I, I tried to get my affairs in order. Um, I sorted out the, the house for Ray. I bought new, everything new so he would have nothing to worry about. And I just carried on and, and we went for treatment. I went for a chemo. Well, it didn't work. And I said, what are we going to do now? And I was in a sorry state. And the doctor said to me, Mavis, get yourself to the Royal Marsden. They've got immunotherapy. It had come through at last under a trial. And it worked. And it gave me back my life. And it was just wonderful. And I wanted to give back to the NHS. So I started my foundation. And that's, I just kept on raising money. We're helping out where, wherever we can. We've given out grants. And I'm getting tongue-tied here. And we, we, I give out grants to people that, for research. It's all about research. I can't change my story, but my story can change the world. So please talk to, to one another. You're, you're the experts. You can do more than the doctors can. Doctors can't cure me, so Thelioma, but you can help stop it even forming. These young lads today are taking a lot of risks. They don't really understand that in, it's an old man's disease, they think, but it's not. We're now getting youngsters in their fault, well, youngsters to me, in their 30s and 40s. So they've got to keep safe. We've got to keep their lungs safe. And you have got the power to do that. I do admire everyone that works in the asbestos industry. So please just keep talking to one another and let's make it safe. I'm getting getting emotional about it, sorry, I don't usually get very emotional, but what's happened is that it's growing back, and it's growing back in every organ. And it's very slow because the immunotherapy is keeping it very slow, but it, there it is growing back, so it's in every organ. So why can't they say and have x-rays and say to people that are working with asbestos to make sure that they are not getting any damage? If they can see thickening in me, why can't they see th thickening in the youngsters that are working with asbestos and sort it out before it gets to anything? It's money, isn't it? It's all down to money. So, I don't know. So just listen to one another, please. I beg of you, let's make this world safe.